Nerds International proudly presents And welcome to the 3T RPG podcast. My name is Harrison Hunt, and with me is Nicholas Lamberley. Will somebody feed me? And of course, we have got James the James Clark. Well, well, good day. So, this is a podcast all about tabletop RPGs, but before we begin, I would like to thank our Patreons who donate at the Dreadlord and Devil King levels on Patreon. There's Ace B, Dreadlord, Ryan Wayham, Dreadlord, Julian Burnick, Dreadlord. Dreadlord! That's right. So, um, yeah, you two can join our Dark Army at Patreon. And, you know, I know that, like, you probably think, oh, that's just a quirky name for their patrons. No, we are actually doing it, and... We intend to take over the world. Well, oh yes, start with England, but eventually, one know. piece yeah. at a time. Yeah, exactly, one, one piece of the puzzle at a time. So, if you're in England, watch out. Just in case the police are listening, <laughs> yeah. this is a joke. But everyone at Patreon, wink, you know. Anyway, um, you know. So today we got today we got some good bloody segments. We got feedback. We got what you've been saying. Where we talk about what we've been playing, and we got the main subject, which is going to be the second RPG ever made. What could it be? Well, just Ooh. listen, will you? Stop being so bloody impatient. Yeah, and then for we God's got, sake. <laughs> and then we got Electro Letters, followed by our award-winning outro. Don't know about you guys, but my back is hungry. Oh, yeah. Well, you uh, better get some food and feed it, then. Uh, yep, let's feed my back. The feedback side. The feedback side. Yes, bitch, the feedback side. It's the feedback section. Yeah, we take your comments and read them out. Yeah, feedback, bitch. First feedback comes in from Richard Walcock. He says, I can't believe Harrison made you sit on the floor. He's talking about during the Deadlands episode, we had Owen Lean on, who's a bit of a Deadlands expert, and his chair was so noisy. <laughs> it was ridiculous, wasn't it, Nick? Yeah, it was. It was like screaming in the background. I know. I mean, like, where did he get his chair? Like, Squeak. post-war Afghanistan. Squeaky chairs are us. That's it. I hate that shop. <laughs> I hate that shop. They... Um, it's not as bad as wobbly tables for you, but it's pretty. It's pretty up there, isn't it? <laughs> Mate, the amount of the amount of glasses are smashed because of wobbly tables for you. I mean, the prices are good, but the tables—it's just not worth it. No. Just <laughs> eh, fucking hell! What is this? Anyway, Richard carries on and he says, "Owen, at fifty-seven fifty, Harrison started talking about playing prostitutes in Deadlands. Then at fifty-eight twenty-two, you described a new edge called Hammer Fanny." Um, <laughs> Wrong. <laughs> He's talking about hammer fanning in Deadlands. Look, anyway, we've I think we've been pretty clear that this show is serious and stop <clears throat> turning this into a house of jokes, Richard. <laughs> yeah, Richard Rulecock. You piece of shit. <laughs> um, next pe- you. Sorry. Um, next one comes in from Per Norden. He says, You sure knock it out the ballpark with this one and he is talking about our new Tunnels and Trolls actual play that we started up yeah. and he says we'll binge listening we'll binge listening the DCC apps while waiting for number two good and idea that's a good oh, idea yes. that's a good idea yeah yeah. get stuck into I the back I think everyone pack, should catalog. do that yeah go check them out everyone everyone yeah, just do it 
I think uh, we, we well we're starting up the APs kind of different format for now, but we're doing it during the lockdown. We're going to do some ones over the internet, slightly shorter ones, but. Yeah, we're kind of back with it. It's this little side story to the foreign beggars. It mm-hmm. was set in the same universe. So, yeah, go and check that out. Um, and Rachel Gator commenting on the uh, on the AP as well. She says, I'm 100% invested at Panache in the Gash. Oof. Panache now, it, the Gash. Exactly. And if we need to sell you on, on the AP even more, James is playing a fairy with a penchant for the ladies. And he says... Oh, yeah. He says he's got the Panache with the Gash at some point. And actually... One of your character's talents is panache, isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> That's it. He's, he's, he's a player and he's a slayer. Good. And he's a fairy. It's brilliant. Right, we've got one last feedback in from Jacob Men. Um, it's, it's a bit of a long one, but I'm going to get through this real quick. He says, Hello, gentlemen. I've been working my way through your podcast after I mostly finished the Murder Hobo show and Wild Die. Um, first off, don't know why you picked those first, but never mind. Um, I'm now falling behind on those as I work through your backlog. Yes, all the way back from episode one, and I'm currently on episode 13. Anyway, I just found out that there is a new edition of Big Eyes Small Mouth out from a new publisher. I played it back in the day, second and third edition. I like the fact that you like games like Maid, Savage Worlds, and GURPS so much made me think this system might be up your alley. If I recall correctly, it was a generic point-by system with a similar take on powers as Savage Worlds, meaning you colour things with trappings, whether magic, technological, or something else. There are a few settings based on anime licensed originally, like Trigun, Sailor Moon, which were very popular at the time. Anyway, I thought this might be worth your time to talk about and give your thoughts on the Intercomputer Cast Pod show. Nice. Have either of you heard of Big Eyes Small Mouth before? Um, Yes, I have, no. No, I have not. Here's 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 the trouble I have with it, and I'm sure it's actually really good. But the the trouble I have is when people make an anime role playing game, right? Because anime isn't really a genre. So you made it's like that's that's a comedy anime game, right? And comedy anime anime they may have different settings, but that's a, a genre, right? Whereas Big Eyes Small Mouth, it's like it tries to do everything, and I'm a bit worried that it won't do any of them that good. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, oh, yeah I totally. I big eyes, small mouth sounds like a pro- like an old proverb, and it you must have big eyes and small mouth, meaning like look at a lot and don't say much. <laughs> that's a really that's a really good point. Chinese proverb <laughs> you know I mean? say big eyes, small mouth, big wise. <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah, I don't know. I will. I probably will end up checking it out. Um. Because if there's a Sailor Moon setting for it, yes, I like it. Shut up, sue me. But anyway, point is, is that if there's a Sailor Moon setting, I'm sure I would really like to play that. As would you, James. And Nick would just force you, hold you down. Yeah. Hold you down. Make and you play shove it, it down I'll your it small mouth. Look, look, I'm not. I'm not one of them people that wouldn't give everything a try. You know that when it comes to role playing games. So mm-hmm. you know, it's always worth a bash. You never know. And, and when you're pleasantly surprised, that's the best. So you know, I never knew a Scooby Doo game would be one of the best games I've ever played, and it was. <laughs> yeah, and also made like I bought it because I thought, oh, this will be a laugh. Let's review it on the podcast, and it was really it was fucking fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. I mean, that comedy adventure with the um, you know, uh, trying to trying to hide a dungeon from uh, a load of potential investors for a, a skeleton king was probably one of the funniest games ever that was good fun Brilliant. and you know yeah that was surprising but it is the sort of one where it's like a bit embarrassing to tell people that's what you've been playing at games like <laughs> your yeah. wife's like was it good and you're just like yes okay moving yeah. on. what you'd have to do is just um just change the name of maid to maid of death and it sounds more like an rpg that's it you figured it out you yeah. just yeah. Put, say yeah. of death Dungeons and Dragons yeah, just of, put death. of death at the end and it sounds anything makes it a fantasy big eyes small mouth of death 
Um, (laughs) Anyway, um, Jake finishes his email and he says, P.S. I'm glad to see how quickly you got celebrity endorsements. Alan Rickman, Beyonce, Gary Coleman. Amazing. Um, Yeah, I I sort of, when I look back on our really old episodes, I do do get very embarrassed. But uh, at least this guy's sticking with us, which means he's probably mentally (laughs) ill. And that's not a bad joke to make, because so are we. So shut up. (laughs) <laughs> we do get better so if he likes it now then hopefully I like it even more <laughs> towards the part well, episodes gonna, actually it's going to be good. months before he hears this one <laughs> no, that's true yeah no unless he's on an absolute binge fest he'll, he'll, he'll catch Who up knows? tomorrow <clears throat> I hope he's not I hope he's not um, no so do I, I don't, oh god you don't listen to our voices for like hours on end <laughs> I don't even like talking because my voice is so <laughs> yeah. annoying anyway yeah, this uh, podcast is the only time we do talk <laughs> <laughs> yeah because we've got small mouth Anyway, um, let's get on to what you've been saying and talk about what yeah. we've been playing. Yeah. What you slaying? First up, we've been. Uh, well, let's talk about Nick's uh, Destiny game. So, uh, Destiny, for those that don't know, is a um, sci-fi shooter set in space and and our solar system. And and you you uh, basically humanity's fucked. These aliens called the Fallen are happening, and you got to sort them out. And Nick has uh, is running a session of that video game, but he's doing it within uh, Cipher System by Monty Cook. And uh, yeah, so it's, it's been really, really fun so far. So um, Nick, t- tell us about uh, the last couple of episodes of your Destiny game and how it went. Yeah, well, it was uh, after getting over obviously the um, the, the the attack of the uh, river um, or the rapids. Uh, you guys have actually started to properly um, get into Destiny life. You went out on your first uh, like official mission, if you like, and it was to recover um, a fire drive, and it's like a, a piece of ancient technology that basically they can use to power up your new ships um things are a bit tight in this guardian in this destiny world and um yeah and the uh, the guardians of uh, um some of their tech starting to run out so you guys basically went on a mission to earth to uh, on earth to retrieve this fire drive now your ships are all fired up ready to go and um, there's been a lot of uh, well it's not not so much downtime, but it's uh, it's tower time, isn't it? When you guys are basically at the tower, you've got your own kind of um, small story arcs going on, which are quite hilarious. Um, Harrison's characters accidentally got involved with some criminals. We've got uh, we've got a romance uh, developing between <laughs> one of the characters and um, a waitress that works at the bar, which. Um, Sean's character uh, also works part-time at the bar. I don't know how he's been roped into a part-time bar job, but he has. Um, yeah, and it's just, uh, you guys have yeah finally got your ship. You've got off-planet. Um, he was giving you first a mission off-planet, and it was to basically go to Titan, which is like a, a water-filled methane planet, and uh, try and stop a um, uh, one of the um, outposts being overrun, basically, by a... Uh, by a siege of um, Fallen and Cabal that were both uh, honing in on your guys' positions to um, try and steal technology off you. Um, So yeah, so I'm trying to keep it kind of high adventure and have a lot of kind of interesting social aspects to it as well. Well, if you um, watch, I hope you guys like, are enjoying it. Kind of, uh, it kind of makes me think of. I don't know why. Why I immediately went to this, but anyone that's aware of the Gundam series Zero Zero Eighth MS Team, which is a great one, some of the best parts of it are not when they're fighting big robots, but when uh, when, when they're back in the base and there's there's drama between them. And I think that because in in Cipher System, basically, like you you kind of you can pick an arc, and it can, for example, mine is. Uh, do something to aid an organization and it's these gangsters i've accidentally got tied up with and you 
during the downtime, you kind of go through these arcs and, and earn things for your character and go through a story. And it's been some of the most, the absolute most fun. Um, yeah, my my yeah, character it's been ridiculous. What's funny is James, you're playing an EXO. We we are basically humanoid robots, and his character is trying in a very philosophical and intelligent way to figure out who he was, his backstory, what he, his place in the world. And my character yeah. is his his logic is kind of different because I'm also an EXO, but I'm kind of trying to figure it out by testing the limits of my own morality so i keep on doing <laughs> bad stuff and also balancing oh, out with funny. good stuff and trying to figure out am i a good guy um and i think i think i'm uh, he's starting to settle more that he's kind of an anti-hero outsider kind of guy because he's he, he he's mainly cares about himself and i mean for example um sean uh, one of the other players, his character's called Phoenix. He brought his girlfriend along on a mission and got a big telling off. And I made a big deal of it in front of our bosses to try and get him in trouble so that I, by proxy, would look good. You know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah, let's talk about actually, because Nick mentioned the river, river gate. Let's talk about river gate. Oh, dear. Well, the river gate. So, <laughs> what it was, it was um, basically, it was like our first sort of, it wasn't even a mission uh, at the time. We were just trying traversing some. Uh, <laughs> You know, just you traversing to get to some ground. Yeah, we had to get somewhere, and then uh, essentially yeah. there was um, there were some baddies on a bridge, and we made quick work of them. So you know, we baddies. Did I thought you meant like some bad drugs on a bridge. Uh, <laughs> some 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 bad dudes that we needed to expunge. Now we took we took them down in like actual seconds, and but then yeah. we spent maybe the next half hour or hour of real life time um, <laughs> uh, falling in the river. And pretty much not being able to get out and almost dying. Honestly, we all thought it was going to be a TPK from a fucking river. Yeah, I was... should add that I wasn't being a dick or no, anything. These guys were just having really bad roles. No, there was. There, it was even like okay. So in Cipher System, like to find the difficulty task of a, of a thing, it's just the the difficulty num- rating times by three, right? And Nick was like, okay, you've been in the river for a bit now. I'm going to lower it to a three. All you need to do is beat a six. And then it was like, right, roll a two. Cool, we're still in the fucking river. And it was all because <laughs> we were trying to climb this tower and get to an engram up there, which is basically like a, a, loot, a loot chest. Somebody fell in. Somebody yep. tried to get them out. Somebody then fell in as well. Everyone fell in. The only person that was Someone left... Someone couldn't find a stick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then the only person that was left on the shore was our hunter, Manuel. And he was just looking at us, like face palming. We were just like, yeah, you've, got to, you've, got to, you've got to help us. <laughs> It was funny then, because Sean tried to save us, and like he was out, and then he was just like, "Here, grab this," and fell in. Oh, yeah, <laughs> he got pulled yeah. in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was so funny, man. It was so stupid and funny. Oh my. Um, but yeah, that that that's been yeah, for, for Destiny so far. I mean, basically, mm-hmm. you know, we're guardians. We're trying to save save the the the. I guess it's not necessarily humans, but all humanoid or Earth dwellers. Let's put it that way. We're trying to save Earth. Yeah. Yeah. And, exactly. Um, it's pretty. Oh well, yeah, and you've got a uh, you've got a, you've been given a new task now because the kind of relationship between civilians at the tower and guardians has kind of waned over the years. Um, uh, your your kind of boss has decided that he wants to kind of invigorate the love for guardians again, so he's charged you with a small film team to start trying to film some of your best bits. <laughs> yeah, and he's currently got a lot of our worst bits. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what's funny is that we uh, like there were some people that, that remembered that the film crew were with, with us, and some that didn't. And I made an absolute ass of myself on my ship, forgetting that they were all in there with me. Yeah, um, straight away. 
Essentially, and I'm, I'm just going to say this uh, like with no context, but I was arguing with one of the other characters back in the tower, and so we kind of had a little race going on. We were racing our, sh- our ships um, on the way to the, the next mission, um, and before we were out of orbit, he flies over me, tips his ship upside down, opens the window, and pisses down onto my ship. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to role play and go along with this. So I, I said, all right, I need some air in this bitch, and I, I opened up the, the roof of my ship. And it took a mouthful of it, and the film crew were just like absolutely like sitting there watching me do this. So, yeah, thanks. Good start. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. But next up, I actually um, I played played my first ever game of DCC as well. Um, I've run Ooh. it a lot, obviously, for years now. But I played my first ever game, and I got to play with uh, Brendan LaSalle of X Crawl fame. He yeah, he wrote this amazing setting about. Uh, uh, dungeon crawling in in the uh, well in like a fantasy future where where it's become a, a sport, and he used some of the some of the things in that. But yeah, basically the the DCC game I played, we had something like eight players, and it was there's we worked for this like kind of evil wizard, and uh, at some point this this identical wizard's tower pops up on the other side of town, just full of weird alien creatures. And that was a great adventure, really fun. But the thing is, what we did is we played an all magic user game so oh nice yeah and yeah. It, it was really cool because it, it, one thing that we don't really use in our ap's uh of tcc is simply because it, it can end up being a bit cumbersome to, to listen to is mercurial magic and what this means uh, is yeah. that your spells have some sort of added effect every time you use them so one of our guys had magic missile but every time he fired it like d12 copies of himself would appear next to him and we were nice. we, this the first fight that we had just ended up like a like a stadium concert full of full of copies of this bloke like there were so many of them, um, and it was like becoming increasingly harder to hit anything because you couldn't see anything amongst the crowd. It was yeah, it was pretty awesome. And so, but I'd say yeah, it was it was good and and it sort of reinvigorated my my love for that game because it's been a little while now since I've played it and i was just like man i remember why this is so fucking good and especially as a magic user you you there's so much unpredictability that it just makes it just so much fun and i was like yeah well Mm -hmm. i need to play this more i need to play it again maybe oh yeah Yeah. i also played um i've started a uh, weekly game with my uh, close personal best friend jeff goad from the spellburn podcast (laughs) name drop (laughs) <laughs> um, anyway, yeah, yeah. So uh, Jeff uh, is my new best friend, and I've been playing <laughs> gutted James. <laughs> Fuck, uh, fucking Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we played one session of it was old school essentials, which is essentially a retro clone of AD and D slash Labyrinth Lord. It's basically like you know a house ruled AD and D that we're playing, and uh, yeah, essentially what it is is that we all come from this town called Goblin Hill, and that we we he's got basically a massive massive list of pregens. Everything rolled randomly, so even the names. Um, to the point where one of the characters was called Benoist, like Benoit, but with an ST at the end. But we all just call him Benoist, which is pretty funny. Benoist. <laughs> anyway, one of the cool things he did is before the game even started, he said everyone can start a rumor about the town. That all say they've heard this rumor, right? And he That's Jeff cool. will ultimately be the arbiter of which ones are true and which ones aren't. But we start with, because there was seven players, we started with seven really fucking funny rumours to, to, to begin with. And uh, yeah, and we, we've got all these things we can investigate. Anyway, there's this wizard that wants us to capture the gasp of a succubus. 
So that's where we're at at the moment. Gasp I mean, of a succubus. Yeah, so yeah, we have to capture it somehow. So not only did wow. we have to research how to capture that, we also had to figure out where a succubus was. And we went to the... Yep. There's this there's this lake in town, and on the north side, the expensive prostitute huts are there. And on the south side, <laughs> the cheap ones are. And we figured out there's a succubus <laughs> on the cheap side of town. So we're trying to... Nice. Yeah, we're trying to get like follow some of our clients in, capture this gasp. And some of us were saying we might capture the actual woman herself. But the highlight of the game was the fact that um, my character is a uh, is a lizard dealer, so I deal in exotic pets, basically. And nice. um, one character who went down immediately just because we were trying to capture a lizard, and he got bitten by it, and he happened to only have one hit point, and he went down. Oh no! And all of our <laughs> other characters immediately forgot him, and were just like, "Who was that? I remember somebody else being." Ah, oh, no, probably. Remember that dude? Yeah, <laughs> yeah it was funny. it was fun, man. It was really fun. Is and it an investigative game? At the moment, yes, yeah, yeah, cool. yeah. Um, which is which is really fun, and I think we'll probably have some more fighty episodes and things like this. But at the moment, all we did was investigate, and it was it was really, really immensely fun. And obviously, you know, those OSR games—they're just super easy to get into. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I, lo- I like the way that he runs it as well, where we—it's we, all collaborative, and we're making up details about the town as well. Like, yeah, that's really cool. As much as I hate him because he's stealing you away from me, um, I do. <laughs> um, I do really like the fact that your mission is to capture a gasp of a succubus. That is proper, proper like high fantasy stuff, and that's like sounds well, well good. <laughs> it does, it does. And in, but the interesting thing is, how, once we figured out, we we went to visit this hag in the swamp, and she told us that to capture it, you just need to breathe it in at the same time, right? So you should be <laughs> kissing her or something like this. Which is, I don't know, it's it's gross and it's funny, but oh, no. I, I suggested I suggested that we get a really long tube, feed it into the room, and then when we know a client's in there, we just we just and then um, uh, everyone I don't know why they didn't go with it. And they, everyone was like, no, we could just hide out, or one of us could go in. Yeah, it's a demon you that has sex with those, you um, until you die. Yeah, let's go in. And you're just standing there going, guys, guys. Yeah, yeah. No. you should use one of those um, uh, those air blowers for fire pits, um, but then just to use it in the opposite direction to suck it. Uh, also a good idea. <laughs> also a good idea. I mean, or I one mean... of them things that you suck bugs up with. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Use a Hoover. <laughs> Invent a Hoover and use that. Yeah, well, it's a magic item, but sure, surely, you know. Yeah. Anyway, exactly. the the very last thing we did is that Jeff, after the game, he said he, he's got this weird naming convention for all the days and the months of the year. And they end up making these really cool combinations of words. So we're allowed to invent one festival. So I, I invented the Flying Wheels Festival, where it's like basically a wagon race in town, and uh, the winner gets a pig. So nice. these have all now become like canon festivals. It's really, really fun. That sounds um, wicked. All right, so uh, that is it for what we've been slaying or playing. Oh. You see what we did there? Oh, hey. Do you guys, clever. I don't know about you, but I am starving for a main subject. Yeah. Oh, cannot wait. I've been hankering. For a shankering. Feed me. <laughs> no, that was last segment, Nick. Oh, shit. <laughs> Name. Subject. Magic. Main. Subject. Tokyo. Main. Subject. So, um, yeah, right. Okay. All right, then. Okay. So to, uh, to, uh, okay. Right. Yes. Okay. Baseline. Big tune. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so yeah, we, you know, would you please I'm stop trying DJing to create art here? I'm t- trying to be professional, I'm trying, yes. failing. You're listening <laughs> to Jeremy Vine. <laughs> <laughs>
Uh, are we? <laughs> All right. So, um, yeah, today we're going to be talking about the second RPG ever made. We're going to go a little bit into the history of it, and then we're going to talk about the, uh, the the system itself and is it good. But let's just get right into it, shall we? We all know that D&D was the first commercially available role-playing game ever, and that it descended from a historical war game called Chainmail, also created by Gygax. And while Chainmail did later include fantasy elements, it was D&D that was made available by TSR and became the sensation that it was back in the mid-70s. Now, while TSR went on to make other RPGs, including Top Secret, which is the second RPG they ever published, in the early days of TSR's life, they were mostly um, spent supporting D&D with modules, supplements, blah, blah, blah. But what if you didn't like D&D? What if you thought it was too complicated, bloated, and full of contradictions? Well... Let's go back, guys. Let's jump in the old time machine and go back to 1970 bloody five. Um, a man named Ken St. Andre was working as a librarian in Phoenix, Arizona. And while he should have been stacking books, he was reading his mate's copy of D&D. And with every new page comes more disappointment, more confusion and more outright rage. He yells, fuck this, and turns to leave the library furiously. He kicks an elderly wheelchair-bound woman in the face and declares, I quit. I'm going to make my own fantasy RPG rules, much to the confusion of his colleagues who didn't know what a fantasy RPG was. Um... <laughs> And I'll just point out that some parts of that story were fabricated. But the thing is, when I was looking up Ken St. Andre's history, it's like, you know, there's not much out there. So I've got to fluff it up a little bit, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, the, the only bit that they really talk about is just how much of a rad dude he is. Boom, successful. Ken St. Andre may not have actually done any of that stuff, but he did find the D&D rules to be annoying, confusing, and believed they served to put off new players. So, speaking in an interview at the time, he said, I just wanted something I could play with my friends at a reasonable price with reasonable equipment. And so, retailing at $2.95 and utilising only the humble D6 Kenson Andre's game, Tunnels and Trolls, was self-published after being in development less than a year and coming out April 1975, which was just one year after D&D. Amazing. So great was the game and so reasonable the price that it got quickly snatched up by a bigger publisher, Flying Buffalo Inc., who got a second edition just out a few months later in, in June 1975. Now, this radical new RPG was compared by many to the punk movement, doing radical things like being easily understandable, being cheap, and being playable with stuff you already have. <coughs> so, I don't know, the guys... I, I know it seems stupid now, but at the time, he's he's this guy's a, a maverick, you know? he's he, he, It's yeah. like... And we discussed on our Dice episode, you know, about how difficult d20s were to obtain at the time and how people you know made up their own little systems with darts or playing cards and shit so i think (laughs) i think that his his concern you know constant andre about being like that he wanted it to be easily accessible is completely fair and you can't argue with that price no i mean i do think it's ridiculous how much some rpg books cost nowadays do you know the pathfinder second edition is 70 quid what oh fuck me is it why do you get more for your money, or is it just because Paizo's in trouble? Uh, probably the latter, Nick. But the <laughs> thing is, is like I think what they did is they went, well, all three D and D books cost thirty quid, so we got to do what they're doing. Oh, oh, how about yeah? How about you provide a bit of value for money? Oh, yeah. There is also that. I mean, the fact that D and D is split into three is a piss take anyway. But oh, it's like Shadowrun, fifty quid for the book, and it's like, should we even bother putting any effort into the actual construction of this book? Or nah, be all right, and then what falls apart? 
tell you what fucking pisses me off. I, I, I bought Adventures in Middle Earth, which is a really, really uh, cool thing for D&D 5e. And in that, they provide only um, a part of Middle Earth as the campaign setting. And it's like, so if you want to go to Mirkwood or the Lonely Mountains or something like this, it's like, here's this other supplement. So if you want to do the whole journey through Lord of the, uh, through Middle Earth, sorry, yeah. then uh, uh, then you have to buy all these books. But anyways, yeah. So so Ken Saint Andre, he has this radical idea that that books should be affordable, and, and he actually manages it, which is fucking <laughs> awesome. And he just comes along, you know, on his motorbike, and he's like, just use a bunch of D6s and speeds off with armfuls of chicks riding on the back of his hog. Smoking a cigarette. No, he's not smoking a cigarette. He's smoking <clears throat> five, mate. Oh, five cigarettes with whilst, D6s in his other hand. Whilst, as chewing, well as on, the yeah, chicks. whilst chewing on a dice. He chew, yeah, he just, he just, you, he puts one in his mouth and you see this horrible crunch. He smiles toothlessly and speeds off. <laughs> but yeah, basically, I don't know. He, he, he's a he's he's a bit of a maverick. He goes out, and makes his Renegade. own game. Uh, when, when really this wasn't even known by anyone uh, that as a hobby. But in fact, in 1999, um, an edition of Pyramid Magazine, the editor Scott Herring had this to say about the game. He says everybody knows this was the second ever fantasy role-playing game, but to dismiss it as an opportunity to stick rip-off would be grossly unfair. Flying Buffalo's TNT had its own zany feel. It was much less serious than D&D and less complicated as a game system. So, as you can see, you know, this is why it became D&D's main competitor very quickly. Mainly because it was its only competitor, but also partly because, you know, it was reaching out and doing its own thing. It wasn't mm. taking itself too seriously. It was using stuff you already had and it was making it way less com- complicated. Mm. But... Let's rewind back to 1979. TNT's fifth edition is released, but this time it's worldwide, releasing in UK, Europe, the Democratic Republic of Congo, Japan, and Namibia. <coughs> and it was it was Japan where the game actually saw huge success, where to this day it remains one of the country's top role-playing games behind Call of Cthulhu and Sword World. Amazing. Ooh. One of the innovations Tunnels and Trolls made was its wealth of solo content. And so in the UK, the 5th edition version was the same size as those choose-your-own-adventure books that you could get at the time. Yeah. Nice. Um, and they were hugely popular in the UK. And Pocket actually size. in the UK, they only sold um, uh, solo modules because that's what we did in the UK at the time. <laughs> and they, they just know, you know, we're just a bunch of sad, lonely... Yeah. Sad, lonely no people. <laughs> <laughs> sit in the corner with my book Ken should we release any of those uh, any of those um, uh, GM modules in, in the UK and they take one look at us and go no no, no. <laughs> people like that don't even have friends well that's the thing it's like the, you know that video that, um, that's been floating around recently because it's called like just an average UK day at the pub oh yeah it's like a bunch of really old well like three old people dancing one really young sort of like tarted up chav girl and then and then a midget walks across the screen and it's like yeah i imagine like the american like guys and in, in kenson andre and flying buffalo they just took probably saw that video and just went no nope. it's not for them <laughs> yep, no nope. it's not they they can't handle this yeah they need to do this on their own they they can't be they can't be trusted together. Look at them, a mess. <laughs> look look at these Englishmen. <laughs> now, guys, I would like you to guess how much Tunnels and Trolls cost in the UK, and try to pretend, if you can, for suspense reasons, that we didn't already record this and this is the real record. <laughs> okay, I'm going to guess, and I'm going to say maybe if we're thinking D and D prices, but also the release of of the few dollars, I'd probably say about maybe ten, fifteen quid. That's good, James. See, that was really convincing. <clears throat> That was really convincing. It's almost like I'm gonna say nine ninety nine. Nine ninety nine. No, um, it was actually one ninety five. But thanks for keeping the uh, fuck. 
the dream alive there. It, it was a bargain. And now you can play your solo adventures at home, then bring your seasoned, battle-hardened character into games with your friends. So that's like that's kind of one of the reasons it has solo adventures. Because let's say, for example, like a lot of game groups can only get together once a month or once every couple of months. And now you can just play a bunch of these solo adventures, <laughs> come back with your leveled-up character. Although... Yeah. As you can probably guess, it's really open to exploitation. Yeah, only only if you you know you you have those 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 dicks in your group who's like, yeah, I just totally like uh, went on a uh, two thousand adventure. But it says here that you're you're a god. That's not even a playable race in this game. Yeah, but I uh, played so much that I basically made the game. Kenson Andre called me up and said that I've I've completed it, so <laughs> it's fine. Gave me god privileges. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> okay. So if you doubt me, you're doubting walls. the word of Ken Saint Motherfucking Andre. So yeah. shut up. And everyone goes. So <gasps> basically, I'm the new DM, and uh, game over, I win. Imagine that. Yeah, it's, it's called the Barry game from now it's on. It's called Barry's game. So yeah. shut up. Turtles and trolls by Barry. It's, he just rolls one dice and he goes, "I win. I win forever." And then jumps out the window. And it just walks out. <laughs> She's the, Ken picks him up. Ken, let's get out of here. <laughs> It's you and me from now on, baby. We don't need these chunks. Come on, Barry. <laughs> God, this has got weird real fast, eh? Anyway, yeah. um, this this is kind of where the, the history of the game gets a little bit weird, right? Because it wasn't until 2005 that we would see an update in the rules. So it was a long bloody time. And this was 5.5 edition. So it added extra, uh, 40 extra pay... pay uh, and it added 40 extra pages, but additionally, that year, a different publisher called Fiery Dragon Productions were licensed to produce a 30th anniversary box set. Now, this box included a bunch of cool shit for use with Tunnels and Trolls, but also included two new versions of the rules. Don't get it. What that means, mm. uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure what the point of that is, but because uh, why would you want two versions of the same rules? Fuck knows. But anyway, thus far there have been six versions, right? So, and the 30th anniversary one became known as 7th edition, despite the fact that the previous version was 5.5, not 6, but it was the 6th version, so... Anyway, but 8th edition was French only, for some reason, and is a mix of the update to the box set version called 7.5 and edition 5.5, so that's 8th edition, right? But don't worry about all of that, right? Because those ones aren't widely played or widely circulated. Today, we're at 9th edition, and this... Uh, as it says at the beginning of the book, is supposed to be the definitive one, right? This is this is the version of Tunnels and Trolls, and they want it to stay for a long time. So it's called Deluxe Tunnels and Trolls, not Ninth Edition. Nice. And let right. me tell you, although this game has had more updates than any other game in the entire world, the Flying Buffalo website has not been updated in a long time. <laughs> long time. <laughs> Um, I see the main yeah. inspiration for uh, it's more it's like an art piece, right? The main inspiration for the website is the classic days of Yahoo GeoCities. Yeah, nice. Yep. It's, uh, you guys are taking a look at it, right? Nick, Nick, give, give us a little description of the old site there. Oh, it's an old build, that's for sure. Um, it's got it's got like a, a, a menu bar that runs down the side with hyperlinks, and there's no actual kind of catalogue, um, and it, and like there's no there's no shopping cart per se. It's more of a case if you press a button, didn't you, and then you send a message to someone to get to get a book. Well, that's that's the interesting thing, right? Is that the, I I sent I sent Ken, Ken some money, right? And I would have just sent him money anyway because he's so dreamy. <laughs> but the point is, I sent him money in exchange for a book. And all I had to do was I, I click on I click on the product list and it's just a big list. It's basically like a notepad document um, it, yeah. full, full of like 200 different products. 
and you just click the one you want and just PayPal them some money and then email them to tell them that you've ordered it. It's mad, right? And so, so I was bloody scared for a bit because I'd sent them, you know, imagine, you know, postage from, from America is a lot of money, right? So I sent them a lot of my money and then I emailed them and said, by the way, I've ordered this two weeks past, right? I, and I send them another message. Just wondering if uh, you've got a tracking number. Get an email back. No tracking number. Sorry. That's all it says, right? And then another week passes. So it's been three weeks. And I email them saying, just want to check if this was definitely sent. And then I get an email back. Ken, he tells me it was sent third week of May. No tracking number. Sorry. Right. And I'm like, fuck, I've been scammed. I've definitely been scammed. You take Ken's one look at the website. It may have been, a, may as well have been a Nigerian prince that made it, right? And I'm like, uh, yeah, anyway, so, uh, but it arrived two days ago. It arrived two days ago after a whole month, which is, you know, reasonable, actually, considering the times we live in. But fucking, I was so scared, I'm boys. not surprised. <laughs> not surprised at all. It's, it's mad. It's really mad. And, and, Do you know and what's quite funny, though? They have updated. The, so there's a banner there that equally looks just as old as the original design of the website. But it says 1970 to 2020. Someone's updated <gasps> the banner. Not the style, but the name. Oh, my God. Uh, the year, sorry. Yeah, done on yeah. Microsoft Paint. Uh-huh. I've got it's a thing that's like, uh, it says a thing that says, and also the Nuclear War card game. I thought, oh, that sounds interesting. Clicked it, link not found. Ah, good. Broken links as, as expected. <laughs> I like it. You just got to go, and the thing is, you just got to go on the pro- product page, which, by the way, has no descriptions of their games or anything <laughs> like this. You've got to already know you want it before you go on that website. It's not a good one to browse, let's put it that way. Yeah. What was interesting as well, I found that, that there is a page, right, that lists all of the Tunnels and Trolls products with a with a kind of uh, like a um, with the description of each one and a little picture of the cover but they all link to drive through RPG so for a long time I thought okay well this product just isn't in print anymore but I thought just on a whim I'll email them to see if they have it and that's how I discovered the product list um, so yeah I mean it, no it's, it's a bizarre website and let's, say, let's, let's call it what it is their custom service or at least their their sort of manners are, are lacking they make a mean product but they don't they don't know how to do much else they don't have to do talking no. No tracking number. <laughs> sorry. sorry. I, get, I get the sense that he wasn't sorry either. Ugh. They sell t-shirts with a, a germ on the front. Super germ. Why? Maybe it's from a something. I don't know. <laughs> Super germ's <laughs> weird looking. Oh, they should, sell, they should sell, sell a t-shirt that just says no tracking number on it. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. Yeah, sorry on the back. <laughs> Hold on. I need to show you guys this. Check this out. That's the Super germ t-shirt. What the fuck is that? Fuck! That's so weird. It looks, it looks like a. What the fuck? It's a triangular green Shrek. (laughs) No, it's not. It's it's that guy from Goonies. You know, you guys. It's him, but in triangle. And then it just says Super Germ. Uh, that is the weird Charlotte <laughs> James' sort of groan of displeasure. Uh, anyway, right, let's let's crack on. So Ken St. Andre is actually still alive and kicking. He's like 120 years old now, and he shows no signs of ill health. Uh, sorry, that I don't know why I said he's that. He's mostly actually. machine um, these days, but... Yeah, he's got wires. <laughs> he's a super joke. That, expa- that explains his inability to talk on a human level. But anyway... <laughs> Um, anyway, he wrote the current edition on the back of wow. his motorbike. So yeah. that's basically the history of... I thought you were going to say on the of... back of a napkin. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's basically the history of the, the world's most second role-playing game. But is it good? Well, let's, let's dive in. Oh, you must pass the dungeon wisdom test. 
So the intro of the game kind of demonstrates how old school the game is and tells you how it's basically about, it's a game of limited information. That's kind of what it says. And it's like the GM, um, you know, shares stuff with the players. They're welcome to draw their own maps and blah, blah, blah. But you, it's all about just sharing with them what they see and what they want to do and stuff like this. So it's built for theatre of the mind. And that will be demonstrated later on with our with the mechanics of the game. But what what follows is usually or what is a role playing game stuff, and then we go into yeah. cha- character creation. So this is super fucking simple, right? To determine your stats, you roll three d six eight times and assign them to strength, context, speed, IQ, whiz, luck, and charisma. And all of these are self explanatory, but it's worth noting that dex and speed are separated. So dex is used for uh, like sort of hand dexterity, such as lock picking. Uh-huh doing the complex actions required to do spells and blah, 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 right? Whereas speed is literally just how fast you are. Um, wizardry is like your mana or your power points. It's, it's a spendable resource used for spells. But here's the cool thing. With the, uh, with, with, the, with the character creation, yeah, you roll 3d6 for each stat, but it's got, it's got a rule called tarot, T-A-R-O, which means triples always roll over. Basically, you get any triples, they explode, and you add it to, to your current score, and there is no upper limit to your to your scores so i've seen a character who was a dwarf start off with 30 strength for example <laughs> so with good <laughs> nice. luck you can have some crazy stats nice yeah it's pretty cool and uh yeah, yeah so once you've all rolled all your stats you determine your personal ads so basically for each point um over 12 in luck strength dex and speed you gain one personal ad and this is basically your bonuses for combat that's it and so um, you, once you've rolled all your stats and determined all of your personal ads, it's time to pick a class. So you've got only three in this game. You've got Warriors, Wizards, and Rogues. And Warriors gain plus one D6 to their weapon rolls per level. So uh, it's basically just your standard combat roll. And they get double the protection from armor too. Wizards can use magic and start with every first level spell and can learn slash invent new spells as they level up. And nice. at each new level, the wizardry cost four spells lower than your current level goes down by one point. Simple. Now, rogues, these guys, I know what you're thinking. They're not thieves, right? But they are um, They're kind of rogue wizards is a good way of putting it. So they can use any weapon. Wizards can only use ones up to a two, 2d6 um, score. But rogues can use any weapon. They just don't get the bonuses that fighters do. But they only get, like one spell to start off with one spell that mm-hmm. they can feasibly use and then after that they have to learn them but because rogues are rogues they'll never get taught them by wizards college so basically to get any spell is basically a quest for a rogue back al- back alley wizardry yeah it is back alley wizardry which is pretty cool so um and, and it is awesome like that um and that's basically it for the three classes that's literally i mean there's there's another one called a specialist as well where if you did manage to roll a three above you know any one of your scores you can be a specialist and it's basically you converse with the dm and get a special ability based on that thing so let's Uh say for example you rolled an exceptional luck score maybe your guy is you get a cool gambling ability that you you, where you get free game that you're very good with or something yeah i like it. it exactly exactly um and that's, that's basically it. I mean, there's some other rules for optional classes like berserkers, martial artists, you know, specialists, as I've already mentioned. But let's say, you know, in this game, there are no healers. So if you wanted to play a healer, then you play a wizard and focus on healing spells. If you mm-hmm. want to play a thief, you play a warrior, but be a sneaky warrior. Or you could play a rogue with the unlocking spells, whatever, you know. 
Yeah. Um, so it's more about customization and backstory than it is about mechanics, as it were. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, yeah, me too. Me too. Well done, me Ken. Three. Um, the, me three. Uh, anyway, so you have to pick a race too, right? And the default races are humans, dwarves, elves, fairies, hobs, they call them, and leprechauns. So I imagine because hobbits are copyrighted by, oh, Tolkien. Tolkien. <laughs> Macaulay Tolkien. Macaulay Tolkien. <laughs> Macaulay Tolkien. Ah, it all makes sense now. <laughs> if, I don't know what you mean by that, Nick. It all Neither makes sense. <laughs> Everything is falling into line. Home Alone is Lord of the Rings. I knew There's it. a lot of similarities, actually, when yeah. you think about it. <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to yeah. leave that there. But yeah, how the races work in this game is is really simple, right? They can they, Every time you pick a race, you just multiply or divide up your scores. So dwarves get two times the strength score that you rolled at the beginning and uh, like a hobbit multiplies your deck their decks and luck by 1.5 basically and that, that's basically uh-huh. it. that's what the races do now as a result there's those are the default good races right so in the world you play one of those guys but if you want to you can play a monster and they're listed in terms of rarity and uh, it means that there's just a big table of monsters and you can play any one of them. You can be a vampire, you can be a dragon, you can be uh, a nice. cave jelly, whatever you That'd want. That would be awesome. <laughs> Imagine that, being a dragon. Or being, being a jelly. a cave jelly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> be good playing play like jelly. an all-jelly campaign. I'd love to play a campaign of all monsters and then you're fighting against adventurers. Yeah, well, here's the interesting thing, actually, Nick. Um, uh, the, the cool thing is, is that there was a spin-off game of this made back in the seventies called Monsters, Monsters, and that's where all of these monster stats <laughs> nice. and stuff come from. And basically, all the content from that is included in Deluxe Tunnels and Trolls. So, yeah, no, if you want to play a monster campaign, it's super easy in this one. That's cool. That would be fun. That's yeah, really cool. I, I completely agree. I mean, we love Saga of the Goblin Horde, and, and it's yeah. amazing. But then this game also gives you the option to play loads of different ones as well, and easily too, which is fucking cool. Mm-hmm. That is cool. So the last thing you need to do to make your character, other than buy gear, is to pick talents. So talents, to, to these are basically your skills, right? The book comes with 150. Now, actually, on the previous record of this one, I got it wrong. Um, uh, basically, to, to use a talent... What you do is you you uh, add three to your score. So you could take something like thievery, okay? So then you add three to your roll every time you pick a lock, pick a pocket, whatever. A lot of picking, yeah? Or pickery, yeah. And then you can spend your XP, which we'll get to later, to upgrade your skill and then get a plus five or a plus nine. And it caps at like plus 12, I think. So, right. you know, you, that's basically how talents work. And there's 150 included in the book, but... It encourages you to make up your own. So in the actual play that we played of Tunnels and Trolls, Nick, uh, you chose ear to the ground, you know, so yeah. or get or get a read on a situation. Mm-hmm. So the uses for those are infinite, you know, and and in James you picked panache, and that's kind yeah. of a broad skill. So to get the book encourages you to be broad, but it does also say if you want to have a, ga- a campaign where it's more specific, you can do that too. So that's like pretty that. cool. Well, it's good because yeah. it, it also um, it promotes more uh, character investment when you're making your character. If you've customized a skill name, you're more mm-hmm. likely yeah. going to be like instantly more in love with your character and totally yeah. more in tune with them. And you, bec- and you and it makes I guess it makes characters more individual in a party as oh, well. Yeah, if you've got these kind of nuances for to their talents, yeah, it's nice. I like that. Well, because let's let's say for example, you know, you could have two 
two uh, sort of identical thief characters. You roll the same stats, but let's say one of them picks thievery and another one picks ninjuring, right? Then the way that those two characters do their thievery, thievery and the way that they're going to use it is probably different just by virtue of the fact that they've got a different description for them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And one thing worth mentioning is that rogues, uh, they do get two talents to begin with, whereas everyone else gets one. And they also get one on every even-numbered level. So by level two, they've already got four talents where everyone else has got two. So that's pretty cool. Banging. But let's talk about fighting. Yes. Ow. Um, sorry, James. Uh, so here's the deal with, uh, with combat. Each weapon basically gives you a certain number of dice. For example, as we mentioned earlier, dagger gives you two dice. So in combat, you roll that plus any personal adds together. So, And uh, that number represents how well you've done in the fight. Then you add that num- add that together with all of your teammates, and as a collective, you have one big number, right? You compare that to the number the monsters got, and the winner is the higher number. The loser takes damage equal to the higher number minus the lower. Simple. But here's the cool thing: the players can choose to divide up the damage to them and the damage to the monsters any way they like. So your uh, so armor in this game, the way it works is it just dots points from the damage. So let's say for example. You take 22 damage, and your fighter's got an armor that knocks off 20 points of damage. Well, he, you go. He takes the first 20, then he take that guy'll take one, and that guy'll take one. Yeah. And with the monsters, you have this cool strategizing where it's like, okay, should we put all our damage into the big one and take a couple of hits from the small ones, like concentrate our fire? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, that's kind of fun. Awesome. It's abstract rather than simulationist, but it is pretty fucking fun. Um, but yeah, um, if you lose a round of combat... Oh no, already said that. So I should point out that this method of having players choose where damage goes is actually optional, but it is also very cool and adds a different dimension. Yeah, I like it. It's makes it like a strategic kind of dimension to it, doesn't it? it yeah, and it's a kind of a different type of strategy to any other game that we've seen, yeah. you know? Yeah, I quite mm-hmm. like it as well because it'll promote, it'll promote some... good storytelling because if uh, the players get to choose it, they get to decide, they are therefore... Um, creating the story together and then it sort of um, evolves um, more on the player side which is ideally you know always what you're trying to do is 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 have the players sort of enjoy the story that they're doing so if they do that then they've like sort of made the story how they want it to go etc yeah mm-hmm. and you've uh, and you you've uh, you know how many times do you see somebody in a movie jump in front of an attack for somebody else and now this game just literally gives you the opportunity because you kind of do all your roles, then narrate everything. So yeah, it's kind yeah. of cool. Yeah, no, it's cool. And it's um, like there's gonna if, if there's a big hit, say there's a big hit that would kill one character out, all right, um, because mm-hmm. it, it takes all the damage. You can now spread the damage, and then no characters die, or you know, which is quite cool. Yeah, yeah. Unless obviously your party doesn't like that guy. <laughs> well, that's going to be the fun thing, you know. Let's say you've been you've been going through the through, through combat rounds, and suddenly. You know, you've all been spreading the damage and keeping it pretty fair, but now you're all on two hit points. Now the conversation yeah, exactly. becomes right. Who wants to die? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But some tough talking going on there. Arguments central. But yeah, anyway, that's basically one round of combat. Now you can use spells as well, obviously, and ranged attacks, but we'll talk about that soon. Um, but if you don't want to fight or use a spell, you can do a stunt, which means anything other than fighting, from running away to tripping up to somebody to pushing them over to swinging on a chandelier. That's stunts, right? 
Uh-huh. Now, I should note here that the monsters don't work the same way players do. For combat, they basically have a monster rating, and it's not a fully static thing. So uh, the monster rating can be anything from one to infinite, basically. And they get a number of dice with which to do combat rolls based on its rating. So a goblin, for example, is a monster rating of 20, I think. I'm not sure about that, but which means it rolls three dice in combat has 10 points of personal adds and can take 20 damage before going down like Bobby Evans's mum on a Friday night. But, and how, how this is all calculated, how you know that from just the number 20, um, is basically the monster rating is its con, and con is hit points in this game. So um, its combat adds are half that amount, and the amount of dice it rolls is divided by 10 plus 1. So you know all of that. And as the monster gets, as the monster gets damaged, its rating goes down making it weaker so mm-hmm. that number tells you everything you need to know about a monster so if you did 10 damage to my 20 monster rating monster then it goes down to a 10 and only gets to roll two dice yeah. and that's basically it yeah I like nice. it nice but I hear what you're saying dear listener I want to do a spell well, I want to do, do a spell. spell can I do a spell <laughs> please sir I'm getting there let, fuck let sake. me spell it why shut up why do I listeners why are you so annoying <laughs> why do you so annoy why do you so annoy well let's talk magic so so spells right they always work no roll no nothing but they cost wizard points so that's basically the drawback you have a limited amount and usually worse fighting power as a caster so some spells might have conditions which need to be met like such as the spell oh go away which makes mon- <laughs> monsters flee if their monster rating is lower than this caster's IQ luck and charisma but in general, they basically most mostly work. As I mentioned earlier, all level one spells can be cast by a level one wizard man, and from then on, they have to pay a college to learn them new ones. Mm. Whereas rogues start with one, and blah blah blah. We've been through this. But are the spells wicked? Maybe. And the answer is yes, and and mostly because of the names, right? As I mentioned, oh go away. That's a spell to get monsters to flee, right? But there's also hocus focus. A level one spell which allows you to create a focus device, which is like your staff or your wand. Or how about, oh, there it is, which reveals invisible items. And obviously, for those that listen to the AP, they heard, take that, you fiend, which is your bread and butter damage spell. There's hidey hold, dingaling, creme de la creme, slush yuck, whammy. And they're all really cool, but it's the later spells that really take the cake. Breaker Breaker, a fourth level spell, makes armor brittle like glass. Awesome. So you, you, you cast that, somebody do, does a stunt, chuck a rock at it, and suddenly the enemy is completely naked. Um, which is called Unlucky Bees, surrounds the recipient with a tornado of bees. That sounds like an insult to bees, doesn't it? Unlucky bees. <laughs> Unlucky bees. But the thing is, yeah, when when is seeing a swarm of bees ever a lucky thing? I think it didn't really need to be named Unlucky Bees, just shit loads of bees. Yeah. <laughs> ton of bees yeah. ton of bees it's a bunch of bees you know it, it's funny because I like these spells because when you see something like in a movie or whatever you never really see them say the spell name right? you don't see somebody standing there going magic missile but they no. usually go take that true fiend but I was thinking about that you know that scene in Lord of the Rings with the Balrog you know where he, spoiler for a 20 year old movie but where, where Gandalf gets <laughs> uh, get the thing goes around his foot and he gets dragged down and you know he's going Fire of Arnor, flame of Odoon, and he's doing that, and then he, at the end he just goes, "Oh, go away!" <laughs> that would be amazing. That would be good. Um, that would be uh, here's, 
Here's a cool one now. At level 18, you can gain the Born Again spell, which triggers upon your death, causing you to be reborn when you die, which is pretty fucking cool. <laughs> that, so, is, that is ridiculous, isn't it? Yeah, and if you let's say if you if you had a a, a wizard as a bad guy in your campaign, and you can't figure out why he keeps keeps coming back every time you kill him, it's because every time he comes back to life, he casts that spell. It'd be interesting to know like how many whiz points that takes, because if you just killed him like maybe seven times, then he'd never come back. Uh, it is hundreds, I know that. So you have to have a pretty high fucking wizardry score just wow. to even be able to cast it. It's like 300 and something. Jesus Jeez. Christ. Yeah, so it's like, that would be decades of play to get that yeah. get good enough yeah. to have that spell, basically. But yeah, how does magic work in combat? Well, if you cast a spell, it pops off and you still get to make your combat roll. So in effect, you know, casters do get to do two things in a turn, which isn't like the most realistic way of doing things. But then the combat is quite abstract anyway, rather than simulationist. So, so mm-hmm. who cares? I mean, it's a, it's a nice, easy, simple way of resolving spellcasters. You know, mm. so shut up. Um, a well placed, well used spell can really turn the tides of a fight as well. So you've done a spell, had a few fights, killed a few grubs. What now? How do I do a level up? Well, sh- fuck's sake! Stop asking me questions, listeners. <laughs> Throughout the game, the GM will give you adventure points. And you may get these for creative problem solving, making a successful check, or killing a ghoul. You can even get them for casting spells in in decent ways, right? But you spend yeah. these on your attributes to increase one. Basically, all you do is spend the amount amount of adventure points equal to ten times the score you'd like to increase. So, to go from a eighteen to a nineteen, you spend one hundred and eighty adventure points. Simple. Ooh. Nice. And okay. your level, right, is determined by uh, your highest attribute divided by 10. So if you've got a uh, an attribute of 21, that means you're a level 2, and as a wizard you can now cast level 2 spells. Mm-hmm. Fucking hell, a burp was just rising up then, and I was really fighting it back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and so yeah, then if you get to like, uh, if you get a skill up to 41, you're a level 4 character. I mean, all of your other skills may be really terrible, but if you've got uh, you know a 41 in something that means you're level 4 for whatever reason and it means That's, that okay. characters can be min-maxed but not without a lot of effort yeah yeah. Um, at each level you gain a new talent as well which I mentioned earlier and warriors also get an extra dice for combat per level so it's, it's it, within your interest to specialise basically yeah. and this is roughly how the game plays it's made with a few things in mind simplicity rulings not rules and theatre of the mind and of course the quick brutal combat now, there's a few situational rules, other ways of using existing classes, and a whole segment in the book about optional a- elaborations to the rules, which is actually really fucking good. Mm. And one of the best things that we talked about is the ability to play monsters. But um, this being the deluxe edition, what's the difference between this and the other versions? Well, the first 166 pages of this book are the rules. Um, that's more or less the same as 5.5 edition, or the French 8th edition, with some minor tweaks. For example... Uh, in the old ones, uh, warriors didn't get a bonus on their weapons for each level. They just were able to use every weapon, but they did oh, get right. double armor. But now they get both. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's basically it. You know, it's roughly the same game, but everything after that is either new or optional. Like rules for martial, art- martial artists that I mentioned, Berserker Warriors, a section on GMing the game well, along with a bunch of cool DM tools, um, a table of steeds. Including lizards, yes. frogs, eagles, all of that shit. Unfortunately, James, no bees. Well, no bumblebees. No, I quit. yeah, I quit. <laughs> I, I would say if you don't get that joke that we've just made, go 
go and listen to the actual play because there is yeah, something very funny that happens in there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and the book uh, rounds off with an a- atlas of Troll World and a few adventures, which weren't in previous versions. Troll World is basically Kenson Andre's home setting, and it's every bit as bonkers as you'd expect. There's a content shaped like a dog. A content? There's a continent shaped like a dog <laughs> called Rolf. And um, essentially, yeah, it's it's like a fantasy world where trolls were the original race that, that inhabited the Earth, and that's basically it. Fire of Arnor, Flame of Odoon! Oh, go away! So, is the game good or is it whack? Let's have a bit of a discussion. We've we've played one session, we've gone through the book and what it is. We know Ken St. Andre is a badass, but Nick, what do you make of the system? What do you like? What do you don't like? Uh, yeah, no, I like it. I like the simplicity of it. I like the, um, I love the um, spreading out of damage. Um, I like the the um, um, the little template we were using for fights. The way it's a, it's done quite in an abstract way, rather than a um, simulationist way. Um, yeah, it's really cool. It's really straightforward as well. You know, two sets of you know two groups roll dice, and then the difference is the damage. Simple as that. It's 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 fun and it's cool. It's got that o, uh, OSR feel to it because obviously I'm, I'm more accustomed to playing them than actually games that came from that era. Um, yeah. But no, so far so good, and um, I, I really like it. It's got a cool feel to it, and it's nice and easy. And I love that you can. Um, my favourite part is that customization of being able to just right. Here's what your spells do. You tell me what they're called, and that I, that I really enjoyed. And I've not had that; I've not been able to do that in a game before. And, I, and it was um, it was a nice little yeah. touch that you don't really think about until you get the opportunity to do it. And it was really good because then them spells feel really personal to you because you've created Talents. their um, words, if you like, that make them operate. So yeah, really, I'm oh, cracking so far. One game in, and I love it. I think you mean talents, but that's absolutely fine. Yeah, sorry, talents. And yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's weird because they often. I think with some OSR games, there can be this tendency where you roll up a character and because the rules are sparse and quite simple, you don't really get a feel for a character until a couple of sessions when you play them. Mm-hmm. But just something as simple as naming your talents or, uh, you know, things like this, like it just, it, or the specialized the specialist rule, you know, where you kind of talk through a talent with your GM and, 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 decide the special thing it does like little th- touches like that just help you put your little personal edge on the character from the get-go and i, I, I like 100%. that a lot as well yeah james mm-hmm. how about you you're you, you're a uh, first time ever playing a fairy in a game yeah um <laughs> i'll tell you what it's quite fun obviously against the grain type fairy um but um it's interesting um playing up to the playing up to the stature uh, of the fairy um i really like that i do you know if anyone's ever listened to our actual plays they are um, you know, naturally comedic um, because of how we play. Let's just see yeah. how we are at the table. But um, I really, really like the fact that it is so heavily theatre of the mind. Like, mm. there's loads of things you could do, like loads of games that they have grids and maps and all that stuff, which I absolutely love and adore and think is awesome. But for Tunnels and Trolls specifically, I think it works perfectly with yeah. uh, fear of the mind because everything is so abstract and like the battles mm-hmm. and all that stuff it's just like right distance isn't going to mean a thing so it's all descriptive it's all like that and yeah like you know Nick's saying and we've discussed with the customizations of the characters and the simpleness of how you create the characters yeah you know it sounds uh, a bit complicated you know if you're just hearing us talk about it like oh yeah if you choose this then it's um, double this minus that and do this but when you're actually doing it on paper it's really yeah. quick, really simple, uh-huh. and you're just like, sweet, that is a fast and quick um, character d- a change because I've chosen yeah, this and, thing. 
you know what as well like I, I think what I what I appreciate more than anything is I do like simple games I like simple games that are up to players and GMs to narrate things and this is very much geared towards that but I like I don't like them to be so simple that there's not enough meat or not enough to the strategy I mean part of the reason why I'm so enjoying cypher is the game itself is easy to play, but character options are plentiful, and this yeah. game kind of does something similar. I mean, it's a completely different game, but and and you know, as no, but there's James, parts. You... Do you know what? There's parts to it, and I'm and I, and I wouldn't be surprised if if little bits of Cipher System might have been um, um, inspired by this old game. To- you know uh, yeah a good point actually because you know like cypher system sort of does away with distance either you're in this fight or you're in this fight mm-hmm. or you're doing a ranged attack or you're doing a spell ability you know what i mean it's like mm-hmm. let's just get to what makes the fights fun i mean in a yeah. movie you would never see you would never see the the hero running for ages everyone's in the fight <laughs> no. is like fuck's sake that fight's really far away let's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. get there yeah, so I mean, I I do like it. I, I like it a lot for that reason, and I think there's a big difference. Like, you know, playing something like Savage Worlds, and I mostly use a grid with that, or D and D, and obviously we use terrain for D and D. The thing about it is, is that that playing a fight theater of the mind in those games always feels like you're. It's not the best way to do a fight, but for some you have to, you know. Um, yeah. And this is like what well, a game is made entirely with that in mind. There's almost no point in using miniatures for this game. I will say this: there is a segment that talks about miniatures, um, and there is one useful way of doing it because you essentially what you can do is if okay, so the fights are broken down, so it's like okay, there's this big mad melee. Either you're in that fighting, or you're out of it doing something else, or you're stunning, right? But what if there's more than one fight going on in the same room? What if a character says, for my stun, I'm going to single this guy out and get him up onto the rafters and start fighting him? Then there's two fights going on, and you still roll it the same way, but there's just two fights going on at the same time, right? So um, miniatures can be handy for that, just to know who's fighting who. But other than that, it's basically completely theatre of the mind. So, yeah, I like that a lot. But finally i don't know if you guys have got a chance to look at the book itself but i've sent you a couple of uh, images with the artwork and and things like this so what, what do you make of the art and i and then i'll talk about the presentation yeah so we got yeah so we got some classic um some classic black black and white kind of osl style art but it's pretty cool actually yeah, i think that, it's really well drawn um they, yeah, it is they kind of there's certain elements of it where they decide to put more detail in certain characters some of them has got like some really nice shading in it others are mm-hmm. sort of outlined uh sort of people with with a, with a like a, a little bit of shading and then there's like a monster in the background who's much more detailed and stuff I like think, the yeah. one where the monster's carving mom into some yeah. rock. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's really weird. It, 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 the thing is, because the game does lean into the goofiness, you know, not probably not quite as hard as DCC, but it does a little bit. And yeah, it's just an image of like a monster carving mum into a rock. And it's like, it's really bizarre. Like th- there's some, some artwork in it. You go, fuck, that's really fucking cool and quite serious. Yeah. And then there's some that's just like, this this game like there's there's one of a fairy um, riding their steed and it's a it's a frog and the frog is just about to leap into the air. <laughs> one of the things I really really um, uh, like a nice little touch because a lot of OSR and old school books they're black and white you know line art and things like this but the, the uh, Tunnels and Trolls Deluxe includes a, uh, uh, a, a like a couple of pages just a, some color pages right and it's got a map of Troll World in there um, full color but then it's got like 
all of the old artwork used for the previous covers and explanations of them. And one of them, what I really, really thought was cool, and you've got to, you've got to see this. I'll probably put it on our Facebook. Is there's this one where they wanted the artwork for fifth edition to be um, a troll um, jumping out from the darkness in a dungeon, and everyone, all of these adventures reacting. Right, beautiful yeah. piece of artwork. And then for the thirtieth anniversary one, they wanted the same picture, but one second later. And as a result, you can see you can see that the fight has died, and he's on the floor, and his torchbearer, like the guy carrying his torch, is running forward. And um, now their swings have advanced slightly, and another troll's coming out behind the one that jumped out of yeah. the darkness. It's just like it's awesome, really clever, really nice, like little touch, there. little touch. Um, yeah, the presentation is amazing. And and do you know one of the things that is is really quite weird that you don't know you want until you you get it is it's got really thick, luxurious paper for the pages, Ooh. and uh, yes. It's nice. It's real that, nice. Real nice. nice. High quality, quality parchment. Yes, yes. High quality parchment. That's what you want. But overall, yes, as do. a uh, as a bloody uh, as a game, so do, would you guys would you guys recommend that people go out and buy this and play it, yes. or, or what do you think? Yes. Yeah, a hundred percent would. If you want a nice, if you like the idea of D and D, but you don't want to get bogged down by the crunch, then you try this one out. I would say it's obviously a. Uh, it's the best parts of D and D without the more technical or, or or the you know less less of um, confusing stuff. Like you know some some people could might take one look at D and D blood for too much, but hopefully this game gives you the same feel, but with a little well, less stress. Like even if you're even if you're a D and D buff, if you've never played Tunnels and Trolls, what the fuck is wrong with you? I mean, to be honest, we we had it. Yeah, this would be a walk in a park. We had it for a very long time, but now we have. It's yeah, it's bloody bloody good. Difficult to find though. I'll put it that way. Um, but you can still find old versions online. Uh, this is on Drive Through RPG if PDFs are your thing, and all the old versions are actually as well, and they're still the same price they were in the nineties. So if you if you don't have you know twenty five <laughs> quid to spare on this book, um, just grab fifth edition, man, and it's like one pound fifty. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Anyway. Yeah. Um, We'll, we'll leave it there. Um, uh, I guess we all recommend it. So, uh, yeah, go mm-hmm. out and play it. Um, and listen to our AP. If you're not convinced, give give that a listen and just uh, you'll you'll see how, how awesome it is, especially the combat and how fucking quick it is. Yeah. But, um, and if you have we, played Tunnels and Trolls or you are a regular Tunnels and Trolls player, let us know what some of your best parts of it are and um, if our APs are doing it justice. <laughs> all right, let's do some Electro Letters. In the future, you will be able to send a letter or parcel from anywhere on the planet. This, sir, is the Electro Letter. Oh. All right, so we uh, we asked you, listeners, um, to... You have to create the most annoying dungeon ever created to really, really get under your player's skin. And we asked, what traps, monsters, and features do you make to make your players rage quit? Now, we come in with a simple one from James Tomasin. He says, rust monsters in a beholder's lair. So for, for those not... Not the album. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's a new album by Metallica. Rust <laughs> monsters, yeah. In a beholder's lair. So, yeah, that... For those not in the know, a rust monster is a thing that uh, GMs use when they want to destroy player equipment because they've got too powerful. <laughs> rust monster rusts equipment to the point of unusability. Um, and a beholder, obviously, they've got all these eye beams. They can freeze you, turn you to stone. So it's just the ultimate one-two punch, really. Nasty. 
Where's my gear gone? You look down, you look back up, beam to the face, you turn dead. to stone, Ooh. you're dead. Nasty. Yorker's Rex, he says, uh, take every normal convention of the game and turn it on its head. Monsters gain hit points when damaged. <laughs> and healing causes damage. Pit traps are mounted in walls, so simply opening a door causes the PT- PCs to fall into the room, impaling them on the spikes embedded in the opposite wall. Weird gravity traps. Spiral Ooh. staircases lead nowhere to an endless loop teleportation trap. Bonus points if you can make someone fall down the staircase forever. <laughs> Spiral yeah, well, staircases, I mean, that, that sounds like something out of David Bowie's Labyrinth. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the worst thing is, is that often, even if a staircase is really long, the only difference between a long staircase and a short staircase in an RPG is the way you describe it. Because people go, yeah, I'm going up the staircase. And you go, yeah, you go up, it's a few short steps and you're at the top. And in this one, it's like, okay, it's a really, really long staircase. And eventually you get to the top, you're tired, you're sweating. But in this case, you'd have to, if it was endless, you'd just go, yeah, you keep going. Well, and what? And then, then what? Yeah, well, you okay. keep going up the stairs, right? Then what? Well, well, <laughs> you're going to be surprised. You're, you're, you're still, still going. going. Actually, why is there a big bell ringing in my head about that? We've played a game where we was going down a staircase for ages. Yeah, it was... Um, what game it was, was it? Oh, it was, it was, it was actually one of our actual players. Yeah, it was it one is, of our actual it? players. Yeah, I thought it was. Yeah, because it was the... Um, oh, God. Curse of the King Spire, that was That's it. That's the one. Yeah, yeah. And there's a really, really long staircase at the end. And That's you right. guys were talking to the torturer in there. Also, another good <laughs> actual play recommendation if you got if you listeners want to listen to that one. But um, uh, Henrik Erlandsson comes in and he says, and he's written this with Google Translate, so strap yourself in. All walls and intersections look exactly the same. It's full of slides that lead back to the bottom of a hollow pit that has a long staircase to get out of. Teleportation traps that send it to various places in the cave at random. Rotating yeah. floors and walls that are silent so players don't know it's the sections of the map rotate when in it. Mm-hmm. I, I actually I actually think that's a pretty cool idea. Does that mean well, I'm like, that's, GM? No, that's cool. That's like has anyone seen Cube from the nineties? Oh yeah. Ah, oh, that's like that. That's a good that's yeah, that's actually a fi- a pretty funny idea. I mean also getting players to kind of notice that the layout keeps changing, especially you know, we just talked about Tunnels and Trolls, where it's encouraged that players draw their own maps. Imagine how fucking confusing they get. You go, okay, I go south back into the room we were in, but suddenly it's changed. And they're like, oh, hang on, you said the room to the south was this, but now it's this. And it just starts getting really confusing. All maps are out the window. I, I like the idea. Yeah, I like you know, that, sir. It's funny that they say about all walls and intersections looking exactly the same, because there's a video out there that you can watch of Gary Gygax GMing. And it's really boring, the way he describes the dungeon. He just goes... Unless I say otherwise, all walls are of hewn stone with moss on them. You head down a corridor that's 10 feet wide and 10 meters long. You enter a room that's 30 meters wide and 20 centimeters. And it's like, it's like super fucking boring. So come on, Gaza. His dungeon basically sounds like that. Um, Anyway, um, Henrik continues and he says, all monsters are illusions that disappear so that no loot exists. All treasure (laughs) consists of large, heavy stone copper statues. Nothing in the dungeon is dangerous, so no danger exists. <laughs> and this is where the Google Translate gets a bit weird, because he says, Slut boss, a boring puzzle <laughs> golem that is immune to damage and can only be defeated with the help of everyone to collect all the statues. And now, uh, and, 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 uh, the, the guy's a genius. I mean, I like Slut boss. I like him a lot. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. 
Like, it's like, what did you do in D&D today? Well, there was this boss that only, could only be defeated if we carried a thousand statues to the door. So we spent eight hours doing that, basically. You met Slut Boss. Yeah, that's Slut Boss, mate. He does that to everyone. <laughs> but once I am tonight, Slut Boss, like, a boring puzzle golem. <laughs> Carry my statues. <laughs> do it now. Do not dare disobey Slut Boss. <laughs> So yeah, that's basically it. He says, but he also says, when the boss is defeated, the statues are destroyed, and when it, and when it was not very dangerous, very little experience points. Oh yeah, yeah, because all the monsters they don't do anything, so you get you do all of that one XP at the end. Nasty. Yeah. Slut boss is like a CR one enemy, but it's just the fact that he can only be defeated by moving a bunch of statues for hours and hours. <laughs> that's horrible. Daniel Daniel Irwin. He says, I once, when I was a lot younger, made a dungeon that literally had nothing in it. No monsters, no traps, no loot, nothing. There was method to my madness in that it was the creatures within had escaped on and were on the loose. The players were not impressed with spending two hours tromping through the whole thing to find nothing. Lesson learned. <laughs> wow. I don't think that's really a terrible idea for an adventure, you know, where all the all the monsters have gone. I'm fucking fed up of this. We spend all our time in this shitty cave. Adventurers coming down here, killing us, and we have to repopulate every few months. I'm sick of it. And so they they, they launch an I'm attack. Off. But it's like, going holiday. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that'd be good. And then all the uh, now, now all the adventures have to get to like some sunny beach somewhere where all the goblins are sitting there drinking out of coconuts, terrorizing yeah. people. <laughs> They sort of come over the and, is, and now there's a game. there. Yeah, and then they're just like, uh, please go away. <laughs> At the Copa. Copa, Copa, attack! <laughs> no, the way, the, listen, the way you the way you get the uh, the goblins to disappear is by going down early and putting down towels on their chairs. Oh, really. yes. <laughs> Very I hate good. That, man. But yeah, you know, the funny thing is, is that what he should, what you should have done there, Dan, is what you should have done is just... As soon as they get in the dungeon, just go. Everyone, give me a uh, investigation check. And once they do, you just go. You you search the dungeon, and there is fuck all in there. It looks like they've gone. And not only that, but you find a uh, a, a ticket stub for a holiday to Spain. <laughs> <Yeah>. Travel brochure. <laughs> I just want to say I'm extremely sorry for the way I'm about to pronounce this name, but my Jack says, prison labyrinth made out of a series of identical rooms with three identical portals on the wall. One portal leads to another identical room. Two others teleport players back to the first cell. No monsters, no traps, no NPC, and most important, writing down the sequence is forbidden for some reason and will change the arrangement of the rooms. Left, left, right, middle, left, 50 rooms should be enough. <laughs> first well, first up, I think we're seeing a theme here that, that if you want to make a shitty dungeon... Uh, that things need to be identical. And I actually think somehow we've stumbled across like some good advice because if you think about it, if you want to create a fun dungeon, which is the name of my uh, new daycare service, by the way, um, <laughs> what you need to do is uh, <laughs> is make everything, make rooms unique and memorable, right? Because everyone's saying, you know, and also populate it with things for the players to do. I mean, that should be obvious anyway, but yeah, yeah. I've seen the theme here is like it seems to be like identical rooms and nothing to do and nothing and in it th yeah this one I like a lot Shogun Pumba he says mimic everything doors ladders chairs pots even latrines everything's a mimic <laughs> oh, oh, and, and I like that a lot man I actually yeah, think that fun. could be a fun puzzle you know that what, could be a fun like um, uh, one shot let, well or, let's say you're doing a, a, a key adventure. hunting puzzle in a dungeon right and you have to get the key to this door. There's usually some elaborate puzzle or a fight before you get the key or whatever it is. But in this case, 
you know the monster that this goblin that you've you've beaten he he tells you straight up he goes look you know the key's in that fucking room it's easy it's in that room in a treasure chest you go in there's a hundred all laid out all identical 99 of them are mimics <laughs> that'd be a very fun adventure or a very short adventure well uh, probably suck I mean let's say maybe five then <laughs> and the players <laughs> like putting their hand in oh shit <laughs> come out with no um, hands sh- Shogun carries on and he says um, also humanise every creature family ties goals ambitions if the rage don't get them the guilt will and, very uh, good they, they, yeah, the sad thing is, is, maybe I suck as a GM because I already do that where I humanise monsters massively. Yeah. Like the, the the standard like the standard joke is them clutching a picture of their family just as you cut their head off or something like this. <laughs> or if they're dying and they're like, can I? Can you just let make sure my kids are okay? Yeah, yeah, tell, yeah. My, tell my wife I love her. It's the worst. Yeah. I, there was a really good one actually at the end of our uh, at the end of Foreign Beggars when you kill Snake Boy and then <laughs> oh, uh, spoiler God, yeah. if you haven't already listened to that and he's and he, he's like um well I was gonna use all this money to uh, to feed my son and you like oh don't tell me that oh bloody hell and he's like well I was gonna buy him a new wheelchair too <laughs> oh, yeah, <that's> <laughs> <laughs> yeah um I think I, I like that one I like that one a lot and um, Conrad Erasmus Neubert he says I'd funnel them into a hallway with only pit traps and no actual floor <laughs> every other step they do is an agility or dex save and 1d6 falling damage then they have to get out of the hole and then the next step is another save and another roll of minimal falling damage now I like that one for the particular niceness of yeah. the fall damage also being a really small amount so it yeah. just chips away Oh, like hours just, and hours. just thinking of it in like in your head, they're having to go through you know just a hallway of traps, and it's just like uh, dish, ow, dish, ow, it's like the rake room, isn't it? Yeah. Oh god, yeah, that was a trap I actually used. Thanks for reminding me, Nick. It was. <laughs> um, I was inspired by that bit in The Simpsons where yeah. um, Sideshow Bob is walking through that field of rakes, and it just keeps going. Uh, Ryan's character got battered. <laughs> yeah, and um, it was basically they just walk into this room in a dungeon and it's just full of discarded rakes one of their old characters was on the other side like beaten and bloody like he's already gone through the room of rakes <laughs> and these guys are like they just look at it and just go oh shit <laughs> so good but yeah another very annoying trap Conrad continues would be a raised stepping stone saying trap on it in bold letters but that stone would be the only tile in the room that doesn't activate a trap with arrows coming from above <laughs> very good <laughs> yep now John get- Steve John Stevie comes in with one last one and all he did is share a link to the first edition Tomb of Horrors and as we all know that is a very deadly dungeon but even better than that this is kind of unrelated but I just want to talk about it is um, Nick's character um, on our, in our last D&D game Dave Dishington he was a gardener and he dis- he, he um, basically as part of his downtime activities once spent like a month uh, designing a new hedge maze for a, a really posh guy uh, using his gardening skills, and as he uh, as he did so, he decided to make it into a, a into a hedge maze dungeon, and uh, you rolled a crit on it, and the guy cried. The dungeon was so beautiful, and uh, it was quite, we ended up calling it the Plume of Horrors because it's like the most the deadly dungeon. Yeah. And it's also a hedge maze. It was awesome. It was it was so much fun. But the cool thing is, is Dave Dishington's now dead, so nobody he remembers is. the layout of that dungeon. And I'm thinking, at some point, you guys might go and visit it. Hello. Oh. Yes. Yep. Which yes. would be fucking awesome. Um, actually, we do have one last one uh, that comes in from Jacob Men. He says, make the architect of the dungeon a madman woman with doors 
Is he? Wait a minute. Before we dissect this email, is he saying he puts a madman brackets woman? Is he saying that all women are <laughs> madmen? <laughs> no, I think he's a madman or woman. Oh, well, yeah. well, he should have put a slash then, not a brackets. Jacob, take your sexism <laughs> and go elsewhere, motherfucker. <laughs> anyway, so the architect of the dungeon is a madman woman with doors to nowhere a la Winchester Mansion. Um, but then have them randomly go to another location, random location, teleport pads to other places in the dungeon. An army of clone NPCs with the same name who want to be helpful <laughs> but aren't at all. And the players can never tell they've met before and which they haven't. The disembodied guard for the dungeon who is only there to mock and mislead the players but occasionally gives real hints. Oh, Mate, do you know what? That that ident- that dungeon, imagine if the dungeon was full of like just identical blokes called John, right? And every time they go into another room, they're like, John's like, okay, when we get to the next room, I'll tell you the secret to unlocking this whole thing, man. They get him there's like, oh, John, good, it's you. And he's like, what? 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 Who the hell are you? What's going on? Let's and then they turn around, there's another one behind him, and he's uh, yeah, it would just be awesome. That's that's a great idea. Yeah, that like is it, it for your um your crappy dungeon ideas. Um but let's let's get on to the regular questions because we've got one uh, one in from Owen Lean and another one as well. Um Owen Lean asks, What are you most looking forward to reopening when the world has finished LARPing pandemic? Um Owen Lean has been a regular guest on the show, friend of the show, and he is a writer in real life. Yet he <laughs> types things like that. Yeah. So, sort it out um, anyway what he means is once once pandemic is over what you're looking forward to and we'll basically take getting around the table again and gaming as a given right yeah mm-hmm. pub gardens yeah pub gardens is a good one I, 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 you know drinking at home is all good but getting outside and having a drink with your mates maybe a little yeah, yeah, that's cigarette. The, I mean, we did it that's the one. we did it you know social distance the other day um, but it's just not the same as sitting at a table um, you know literally shoulder to shoulder with a pint glass that's just been poured out of the tap uh, and it's yeah. nice and cold yeah man in a, in a pub garden it's the fucking best yeah it's the fucking oh, best yeah. I'm also looking forward to going out to dinner as well not that I do that that often but Ooh. like Wagamama for example no but just knowing that you can <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 totally and and but part of me worries that the new normal of going out for dinner is going to be so horrible that it's not worth it I'm also <laughs> looking forward to uh, looking forward to fast food Yes. Like grab, grab well, I tried to order a McDonald's last night and um, through Uber Eats, and it took an hour and a half to get cancelled. Oh. oh. I hate. And also, yeah, you know, good. like Uber Eats, whenever you order McDonald's, it's good, man, and it's good for a hangover, but it's always fucking cold. I don't know how they manage it. They've got these insulated bags, but I think it's when they when they've uh, like bagged it and shit. McDonald's will often just leave it there on the side. And then the Uber oh, guy yes, gets there. Oh, yes, that's it, exactly. So, uh, yeah, and then he gets stuck in traffic before you know it. It's freezing. Yeah, one of my favourite things as well is getting a fucking McDonald's at a drive through and eating it while I'm driving. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. It's the best. <laughs> just like, um, num, num, num. It's, it's, um, num, num, beep, beep. No, I mean, I drive well, but it's just, I, I really like eating and driving for some reason. It's just a, it's just a nice thing to do. Anyway, uh, we've got one last one that comes in from Anon, and he says, considering the Black Lives Matter movement, what can we do to involve more people of colour in our games? Also, do you think companies should be making more of an effort to include people of colour in their rule books? Uh, probably not going to answer that one. Uh, the, the only reason I read that we don't do politics really not really but here's the dizzle the only reason I read that out is because don't send questions like that we have wrong people to ask about serious matters so shut it alright well that is it for your questions and uh, yeah thank you very much for sending those in 
Um, we really liked your 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 dungeon, your bad dungeon ideas as well. That's pretty good. I mean, I'd, uh, what we might do, and I'll, this is just an empty promise that'll probably never happen, but is is do an AP based on all of these suggestions. Listen to, but yeah. All right, let's do an outro, shall we? Goblin, 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 goblin. All right, so um, listen, listen. Uh, we need money. All right. No, I'm not going to start like that. No. All right. That's so stupid. Listen, right? Listen, right? This is a robbery. This is a polite robbery. No. <laughs> this is a polite robbery. Put this your hands a... up. So, Patreon, we've got oh. Patreon tiers over there now, and you get certain shit um, for being a patron. We don't get any content behind paywalls, but there are certain things, certain levels that you can do. So, go over and check those out. We have a uh, $1 tier, obviously, a bong guy. And uh, we call the patrons our dark army. So, go over to patreon.com forward slash 3T RPG podcast. And uh, yeah, check out those. And if you want to donate, please do. Because bear in mind, if the money stops, the show stops. All right? <laughs> Motherfuckers. That's it. You've been warned. This is a threat. But if... Stop threatening the listeners, please. What is wrong with me today? Why do I have such contempt for them today? What is it? Well, I don't know what... Yeah. It's because of all the bloody questions they ask whilst you're doing the main subject. For fuck's sake, shut up. <laughs> yeah, I'm bored of it now. No, um, but seriously, thank you very much for all those that do donate. And if you do um, yes, want absolutely. to you know, help the show out, but you don't have uh, the money to, to subscribe on Patreon for months on end, then buy one of our products on um, DriveThruRPG, 3T RPG Publishing. We've got an adventure out there. We've got two little toolkits for your game. So go and check those out. And they're cheap as fuck. So just mm-hmm. go and yeah, yeah, buy one of those. And if you want to contact us, 3trpgpod at gmail.com. And, of course, we're on all the social medias. So send in your shizzle and we'll read it out on the show. Now, I've been Harrison Hunt. I've been Nick Lambslice. And I've been James Pumpkin. And remember that D20s are cool, but 20Ds, now that is a good time.